After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You gotta check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. Would you care to tell me somebody that's called out Volk? I mean, that's really an amazing thing. It is to the point that Volkanowski is calling out guys for not calling him out. We've never been in this before. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of You're Welcome, guys. 
we have got so much to talk about on today's program. All hell broke loose at a press conference in London. Plus, I'm going to tell you the two and only two opponents that make sense for Ian Gary. Those topics and much more on today's show. But let's begin where we started Tuesday's episode, The Sugar Show. Very rare in life that somebody has power and that they don't wield it. Yeah, it's one of those. It's one of those deals, right? And I can almost tie that in. We've got we've got like a, this presidential election is coming up. We got these debates going on, and one thing that they must do is act as though this is not about the power. This is for the people. I am representing the people. Like you have to do that. It's all an act. It's all an act amongst all of them. It's all about the power, but it's got to come across as though it's not. I mean, really, it's it's a tough thing to do. Or you just go the other way with it. You don't play the game at all, and you say it's about the power. Now, that's never happened in politics, but we're seeing that happening constantly within the politics of MMA. Sugar Sean pulled it today. (laughs) Uh, Sean is the gift that keeps on giving, right? It's the difference between, right, you you got your big stars. And I can't put Masvidal on the list because he officially retired, but Masvidal did a very good job with this as well. You got Adesanya. You got Sugar Sean. You've got Conor McGregor. But they're the stars that keep on giving. There's something in between fights. The worst thing in the world for Sean and his popularity is the fact that he fought three days ago. Why? Because that means his next fight is the furthest out of anybody. And if it's the furthest out, there's no media. There's no attention. There's nothing to cover. You would have no story on Sean. To have a story, you got to have the five W's. Who, what, when, why, and where. You don't have those. You could have speculation of Cheeto Vera at T-Mobile in December, you don't have an actual story. He's in a wildly hard position. Well, for everybody that isn't named Sean, he just keeps on figuring it out. And I'm, I'm sharing with you, like, and Connor is a great example. Connor has been doing this for a while. I mean, Connor is classic for a few phrases, but one of them, beg me. You're hearing other guys saying that all the time. And the authors will print it and the fans will retweet it and they never tie that back to the originator, which was simply Conor McGregor. But this whole beg me gimmick, it's a very good and effective and powerful one. Not to mention, Red Panty Night is very real. So if you got Red Panty Night and you got this whole great great big bag of money to give to somebody and you want something in return, which is self-humiliation for them to get on their proverbial knees and kiss your feet in front of the world, they're likely to do it. Now, you could extend that to what Connor is doing right now with Michael Chandler, right? I mean, he's dangling this thing. Now, that's just for fun. Connor is as good as his word, and his word is he's going to fight Chandler next. But then he's going to say a whole bunch of words around that, and he's going to keep everybody nervous, right? I mean, I'm just sharing for you, because now Shigashan comes out, he tells Cheeto Vera. Tells him to be a little bit more polite. Tells him, do, do not start acting as though you're calling the shots here. I will simply go fight somebody else. And Sean told him this straight up. Say, I wish a politician would do that. We got a big debate tonight. If they would come out and do, if they would take a lesson from Sean, it would change everything. Sean comes out, he tells him, I'll fight somebody else and do not think for a moment I don't have the power right now to do that. And then he even told him who that would be, Henry Cejudo. They would sign off on that immediately, by the way. 
I mean, there's a lot there between Henry and Sean, not for nothing. I don't know how we avoided that or how we ever even got off of that topic because you've got the Arizona tie-in. Like, that's got to be settled. You got Sugar Sean, you got Henry Cejudo, and you got Dominic Cruz all from the AZ, and nobody's talking about that. That would not fly in West Lynn, I'll tell you right now. There's only going to be one. Easy way or hard way, but it's going to get figured out, and there's going to be one. And somehow, like, this just got overlooked. I only offer that to you because it's very meaningful. I mean, I'll take DraftKings, my own my own partner. They came out yesterday with a line on Marab versus Sugar Sean. And they had it two to one, right? It, it was just the classic old debate that you would have thought, thought we settled to some degree on Saturday about the striker versus the grappler. And I hear you, from 1993 until 2023, we had our answer, but we don't anymore. There's never been a time like this in MMA. Where striking dominant athletes have more championships than right now. There has never been a time. And only, I only bring that to you because the Marab comparison 100% has to do with the striker versus grappler phenomenon that has always, until present time, favored the grappler. Now, that fight is between them. And I don't know where Marab is at. Do you? I never got a great update on that. I know that Marab had something, I believe, with his hand. And this was even like right after the, the coat incident, which is one of my favorite pieces of theater in the history of MMA. Talk about the night that, that Henry and Sterling get done, Sugar Sean gets brought in, drops the jacket, Marab takes the jacket. Remember this? Crawls up on the, on the cage. But the very next day, Henry who was going to retire. Henry was going to retire in that moment. The piece of theater of Marab, of the jacket, of Sugar Sean, of the face-off with, with Aljo took so much time that that great emotion that Henry was feeling, that great emotion that makes you do and say things that possibly you wouldn't have done it at the time, it calmed down. It went away, and he didn't retire. He took the gloves off. He was going to retire in that moment. They took so long to get to him. Not only did he not retire, the next morning, by the time I had woke up and I'm an early riser, he had called out Marab for the Boston show. Not only did he call for a fight that we all want to see, he called for the perfect opponent at the perfect time with the perfect placement. I mean, Henry would have got this fight. The reason that went absolutely nowhere is Marab was getting his hand fixed. I'm just trying to give you guys a timeline. And I never got an update on how that hand is. I mean, I'm just, I'm offering you that. As a matter of fact, I was working with Michael Chiesa over the weekend. We're at ESPN, or we are on ESPN. And Chiesa, when referencing the division, brought up Sandhagen and the fact that Sandhagen had an operation on his hand. I thought Chiesa misspoke. I thought he, he interchanged while we're live Sandhagen with Marab. Because Sandhagen just got out of the ring. And it was a completely grappling heavy contest. They threw the cameras to Sandhagen. I didn't see anything on his hand. I didn't see where the hand, and I've never heard it. I've never read it. I bring it to you. I just, I just thought Kiesa, who never makes a mistake, true professional, great guy to work with. I thought he, I thought he had a slip. And he said, Han Hagen, where he meant to say Disha Lavili. Now, I bring that to you because I'm just sharing with you. I'm, I'm, I'm disclosing my ignorance to the topic of where Marab is at in terms of getting back. There was even a tweet that went out 
by a real stud fighter. Somebody posted, it must have been one of the dirt sheets I go to, Elbows or Manias, but somebody posted from a real stud fighter that came after Sugar Sean because Sean called out Cheetah and they said you should have called out Marab. I don't know if it's possible to call out Marab, for one. And two, for Sugar Sean... See, see don't, don't mistake what happened here, please. Don't mistake that Sugar Sean called out Cheeto because he's following the golden rule of the easiest fight for the most money. Don't mistake that. That's how it's going to be presented by everybody, including Sean. That's not what's going on here. This was the gentleman, and this was the sportsman inside of O'Malley. The, the, the part of O'Malley he doesn't like you to see. The real person with compassion who's fully aware that I am now the champion of a division, you're on the undercard, and we have a past. And I'm going to make sure that you get your opportunity the same as somebody else made sure I got mine. That's what this is. This is done out of kindness. Kindness doesn't sell. So Sean will never co-sign the statement I just made, but that is what this is. That is sportsmanship. And I'm just sharing for you to act as though he sidestepped Marab. I don't know where Marab's at. Marab's a killer. I love Marab. I'm just sharing with you it wasn't the right call-out. The right call-out was Cheeto Vera. The right person, when you get up in that loft to leave the ladder down behind, with Cheeto Vera. And Sean is now telling him that he had better play his cards right, he better be a little bit nicer, he better get on Twitter, and he better have his hat in his hand. And quite frankly for me, that's entertaining. There are only two fights out there for Ian Gary. There is only two fights, and we should be narrowing this conversation right now. The opponents. First off, Rachmanov. Second opponent, Jack Dylan Magdalena. And no matter how hard it is for me to say Magdalena, guys, Jack and Rachmanov are the only two people we should be discussing for Ian Gary. Let me make the case. Now, I had the great pleasure of working with Michael Chiesa over the weekend on ESPN. This is Chiesa's weight class. Chiesa had no ill will towards Gary. Doesn't look at him as a guy that's coming in and stealing everything and getting the attention. It was quite the opposite. Chiesa's like, man, this guy's a shot of energy in the division. I love I love that he's here. This, this was Chiesa's standpoint. Chiesa shared something, though. And he shared this with the whole world on our post show. And he said, look... Gary's the real deal. This win over Magny is meaningful. But Gary has a problem. And the problem is that he's training out there. I know these guys as the Black Zillions. They then changed to Stanford MMA, and now they're something else. But it's that same group. I don't, I don't know their new name. But it's the same group, right? I didn't understand that Gary was training with them. And Kiesa's point was, as good as Gary is, undefeated, beautiful record, up-and-comer, biggest pop. Gilbert Burns is his teammate, to the point that Gilbert Burns is in his corner. Vincent Luque is his teammate, to the point that they spar and work and help each other on a regular daily basis. Kamara Usman is one of the backbones of that entire team. When Kamara Usman won the Ultimate Fighter, he won it representing them. I bring that to you, even though we know Kamara is spending a lot of time in Colorado, this is still who he claims. He's still part of the team. He's in there all the time when he's in town. Rachmanov is another one. I didn't know this. 
I was with Danny Rubenstein over the weekend. The very first thing I asked Danny is, he's got anybody, I said, hey, you got anybody on the card tonight? He said no. Now, as soon as he said no, that means it's my night off. I'm enjoying a show. So I didn't want to bother him. He's a personal friend, but I just didn't want to bother him and start talking business with him. But I bring up Rube because Rube represents Rachmanov. And whether they're teammates or not, right, to Kiesa's point, whether they're teammates or not, my understanding on Machado Gary is that he's a road warrior. I know he, he came up in Ireland and he just spent two months in Brazil. In fact, one of the comments that he had made to the media over the week is he's about to buy a home in Brazil. His wife is Brazilian, just by example. So I know he does a lot of training there. Then when he comes into town, into Florida, he does some training there, and that's his home base, and that's who he's represented. Those are the guys on his corner. I mean, those things are meaningful. I'm not attempting to tear down from him, but I didn't even know that Rachmanov had boots on the ground in the United States of America, let alone that team, until Michael Chiesa shared it with me on Saturday night. I mean, not for nothing. How Where are they at? In all fairness, where are you at? Is this, or is this really a team? And if it is, do we need to all respect that right now? Do we all need to understand that you're not going to fight with each other? Because that's not really the history of the team. I mean, one of the great fights that I can recall in the last half a decade at 170 pounds was Gilbert Burns versus Kamara Usman. They were teammates. They figured it out. They went out and competed. I feel like they should have gotten credit for that. I feel like that went under the radar. Kamara Usman and Gilbert Burns should have gotten credit. So should have Henry Hoof. By the way, so should have Coach Jones. That entire team, they did things the right way. And I'm only bringing this to you. Gary is going to have to fight a great grappler or he's just not going to get over with you guys to the extent, right? There's, there's a different criteria when you're a new guy. There's a different criteria when you're up and coming. That criteria shifts a little bit once you break into the top 15, which Gary has. But as you start to break into those rankings and you start to climb them, you start to work your way closer to a main event. Now that is where the blood is on the floor. That is where people start getting stabbed in the back and heads start getting chopped off. The players, the real players in this sport, of the 763 under contract, you don't have a whole bunch of them, but you got 30 of them. You got 30 guys out of the whole lot of the 760 under contract that understand the main event is coveted and they're going to do what it takes to get to it. And I'm just sharing with you, the rules start to change as you start to build. Things that Gary, I'm only using Gary as an example because he's who we're talking about, but things that he's dealt with, outside pressures and forces, what's been allowed, what's been accepted for him to get into headlines, move up the card, build his ranking. Those rules change. As you get higher in the rankings and as you get closer to number one. Look, nobody respects 15. Not for nothing, they shouldn't do 15. This, it's embarrassing and it's weird. Truly. Or where do we go from here? We go to 20. We do what the NCAA was. We, we make top 25. Who can, What are you talking about? It's a top 10 list. Oh, and by the way, of the top 10, it has two categories. You got top 10, but then you have top five. If you're not in the top five, you're not even eligible for discussion of getting a world title fight. So what difference does it make? But I'm just sharing with like 15, nobody cares, nobody's watching, do whatever you want. Oh, put a guy at 15, put a 14, put a 13, don't put a, it doesn't make a bit of difference. Those rules will start to change. And that is where I'm just going to bring to you. He's going to have to deal with a grappler. I don't think that Gary's going to see this piece and care a whole lot. I think Gary's the real deal. I'm a believer but he's still going to have to show it. 
And if you think them boys are just going to stand down, they did when he broke in the top 15. They all stood down because no one cares. If he slides into 12 or even 11, they'll all stand down. No one will say a word because no one cares. You start to get into the top 10, which is an actual real thing that people do care about, the rules are different. So going out and dealing with Rachmanov is extremely important. Why? Well, because they're both undefeated. But why? Well, because they're both rising stars. But why? Because the outcome doesn't matter as much. We have a clear, monetizable, provable box office attraction with Gary. There's a level of protection that that comes with. And that level of protection that you read about in the politics and the bureaucracy. And what are, what are people calling their, their Dana privilege? I've heard this one. Is extremely limited. Okay? I mean, yeah. hey, nobody can shoot an M16 at him, but go ahead and shoot a 9mm at him. I mean, do, do you understand what I'm saying? There's not a lot of things that you can do to help a guy. But when you do have that, you do have a star on the rise, there's things that can impact. It's called hedging your bet in the business world. There's things that can be very impactful and hedge against the impact if things don't go well. And putting a guy with a perfectly undefeated, who stopped absolutely everybody, who's supposed to run through you, up and comer, is a very good way to achieve two things. One, you get one of them over and you shine them up nice and bright. And by the way, Rachmanov is not over, but it's coming. It's close. I can feel it. And so can you. Though Rachmanov is ranked meaningfully higher than Gary. I couldn't produce either one of their rankings for you, but I, he's meaningfully higher than Gary. He wouldn't be the more popular of the fighters. If those two were put on the same card just by example, Rachmanov would fight before Gary. Gary will be closer to a co-main event than Rachmanov. Just by example, like if that was to ever get tested. So I'm sharing for you, it's very important that you do consider Rachmanov. We were forced with this same situation, but Patty the Batty got hurt. And it would have been Patty the Batty versus Justin Gaethje. Which, by the way, Dave Portnoy was involved. Well, like, th this makes a ton of sense. People go, well, Patty can't beat him. But Patty doesn't have to beat him. He doesn't have to beat him because he's not expected to beat him. I'm just, I'm bringing that to you because that one's going to get overlooked. Rachmanov has to be on the extremely short list versus Gary. Then you go look at Jack Della Magdalena. That's a hard one. Magdalena, I'm doing my best for you, Jack. That's an up-and-comer, but that's also a striker, right? Like, Gary hasn't hidden the fact that there's a certain style that he prefers. That's what the uh, call-out of Wonderboy was about. That wasn't only about rankings. That wasn't only about finding a guy that is really well-known, higher-ranked and more known than me, bigger opportunities, more main events, title fights, as a matter of fact, multiple. It was also a style that Gary liked. And I'm just telling you, Jack brings that exact thing. That's who they should be looking at. When, when you start going in different directions, everything starts to get really weird. Like when people are calling for a fight and the person they're calling for accepts the fight and then you get an announcement someday and there's a fight, but it's not with those two. It, it not only looks weird, it feels weird. If these two guys have agreed to fight and that's the one that the people want to see and then you get an announcement that it's somebody else, that's where the perception of the privilege comes in. 
whether it's accurate or not, that's where the perception comes in. You go, wait a minute, why, why are we not doing this one? The one that they asked for, the one that we all said we want to do on the very few internet sites that helped to run our entire industry and keep the lights on, and they have since the 90s, why was that not observed? And this is the match that makes perfect sense. It doesn't, I don't get the feel at all that Ian Gary is looking for an easy way. I can't think of many matches harder than Wonderboy. I mean, that style is a mess. That is a style that you just, it's a very hard time dealing with. Meanwhile, I give Gary the same credit. Gary put down a veteran with a leg kick. Oh, by the way, it was the first leg kick. Right? I can remember all the way back uh, to the Maurice Smith days where he put somebody down with leg kicks or Marco Huas with leg kicks, but it took a hundred of them. Put a guy down with your very first leg kick. What? You can't do that again. That was lightning in a bottle. You can't do that again. Well, he put him down with the second leg kick as well, right? I mean, what's going on here? This guy's incredibly skilled. There's nothing about Ian Gary that tells me that he's looking to avoid grapplers, but I guarantee you that narrative is going to start to catch on, and it all has to do with the matchmaking. There's only two fights out there for Ian Gary. You got Rachmanov or you got Jack Della M. That's it. I'd love to hear what your guys' pick is, but narrow it to those two and make no mistake, this privilege business isn't real. Or is it? had a very confusing 24 hours. Now, I am used to the troll job. I feel as though I speak Conor McGregor. I don't have a problem with it. I feel like I understand it so well that when I see the new marks that are biting on it and think of the Conor's going to go over here, he's going to go over here, and he's going to kickbox here, and grapple here, and fight here, and run for president over there, like whatever stuff is coming out of his mouth and I see those people doing it, I'm like, oh, okay, you must be some newbies. You don't understand that every time there's a pay-per-view, we get a plethora of ideas to steal the headlines. But I must tell you, this is legitimately confusing. Conor McGregor has done some things that he's never done. Conor McGregor came out with a statement on Sunday. This is through Twitter, and this was his voice. It was some kind of a voice memo. Are we still calling it Twitter? It's called, are we calling it X now? All right, fine. So he, he, goes, he goes on this platform and says that his livelihood is being taken from him. They won't let him fight in December. He could be a victim, but that's not him. He's going to forge on. And there felt to be a lot of truth within that because that is opposite of the character that Connor has built. The character that Connor has built only has one piece of BS in it, which is power. All the skills, all the courage, all the willingness... All the money, all the fancy cars that Connor talks about are real. The only thing that's not is power. He has none. It's the only thing that he has ever sold, and it has worked incredibly. People have believed it. I bring this to you because Connor has never gotten away from that part of the character, of the public perception. He's never gotten away from that until this. He said that. They're taking it from me. They've been doing this for years. They aren't allowing me to fight. And he didn't specify who they are. Now, 
This is two days ago, because last night he comes out and he says the fight in December is potentially back on. Oh, he says the fight in December is back on the table. That's the exact quote, which means potentially I could still be fighting with Michael Chandler in December. Now, I would love to tear that apart for many reasons. First and foremost, I know that the plan as of one week ago was Colby Covington and Leon to headline the December date. I know as of Sunday morning, Volkanovsky believes that he and Ilya Tapori are going to fight this year. Volk does not demand a main event, though. So it is possible that you could have one of these massive fights on the same card. That is possible. But you're not likely to have a Colby and Leon as a supporting cast. You're for sure not going to have Connor as a supporting cast. But if you put a Leon or a Volk underneath a Connor fight, you're now going against an age-old policy that a title fight opens for a non-title fight. You're not going to be able to offer me an example that you know of where that has been true. So I'm just suggesting for you, we have a massive date issue. That's what we have. We have an issue and we have guys that are competing for dates of which there's only a couple small handful, is it four, that are left in the whole year. But we already know who's going to the top of the bill at MSG. That one's done. We know who's going to the top of the bill of the September card with Adesanya versus Sean Strickland. We know who's going to the top of the bill in the October card. That's Islam versus the guy that says he's not going to fight Islam, Charles Oliveira, at this point, likely to be Islam versus Justin Gaethje. Conversation for another day. And that only leaves us with one date left, which is December, which is owed to Colby and Leon. It's owed to them. But it's being sought after by Volkanovsky, who's willing to not headline and come down. When, okay, great. So we, we both of those things would be true. We could have Leon and Colby, and we could have Volk and Tapor, and we could do it on the same night. But now you're saying that Connor wants that night. And if you put Connor in there, he's not going third from the top for obvious reasons. And the policy that a title fight trumps a non-title fight, this is MMA, guys. We fiercely adhere to whatever rules we make up on the spot. I understand those things, but wouldn't this be an interesting battle? I mean, if right now this is in fact a battle, Connor and Chandler want the December main event, but so does Volk and Tapori, and so does Leon and Colby. Who's going to get it? What an interesting battle. I would love to see how that goes. And I will tell you, there's going to be two guys that are going to fight for it. It's Conor McGregor and Colby Covington. Everybody else is going to sit there with their mouths shut. But those two are going to actually fight for it. And what an incredibly good time we could all have, right? I mean, what an incredibly good time we could have if those two juggernauts decide to fight for the same thing. But I don't know that we're in that position. I don't know anything. And I can't know anything because it came from Conor. Every entertainer has a deal with the audience and it's not the same deal they have their deal with the audience taylor swift just by example i'm going to take all of your money 
all, I'm going to turn you upside down and shake you till nothing comes out. But I'm going to come out and I'm going to say that I want costs to be cut. Are we good? Yeah, we're good. Okay, great. Just by example, actors that all want to go and be athletes, and some of them even try, and they wonder why nobody will come along the journey. Well, that isn't the deal, right? I, I grew up, the, funny, the funniest guy, the most guaranteed box office was a man named Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey decided that he wanted to go straight. He didn't want to do the silly voices and the impressions anymore, but he couldn't figure out why we wouldn't come with him and why Hollywood wouldn't give him his quote and why his theaters were full of empty seats because it wasn't the deal, Jim. The Rock tried to do this. The Rock tried to become Dwayne. And we put his pants on for him and he quickly learned and he came back to The Rock. But it's not your choice. We decide because we have a deal. You don't get to go and break the deal. Roy Jones thought he could go and be a famous racker. I, I believe Shaq tried to do that too. Do I, do I have that right? And they couldn't figure out why nobody would come with him. Garth Brooks couldn't understand why people wouldn't come and listen to Chris Gaines. Why, why can Chris Gaines not sell out an arena? Do you guys even remember this stunt? Do you even know what I'm talking about? Garth Brooks, the biggest singing star, not just country star. That time he was the biggest vocal star on earth came out and tried to do a dual character where he himself, Garth Brooks, was now called Chris Gaines. Like, you guys aren't missing something as stupid and weird as that story sounds. That's how stupid and weird. It was insane. He like goes on David Letterman and doesn't want David to call him Garth, wants to call him Chris Gaines, and Chris Gaines is going to put an album and he's going to sing songs. I mean, this was like colossally the dumbest idea ever, which, by the way, I don't think you fire anybody. I don't think it was anybody's idea. I think Garth hatched this baby. I think Garth actually hatched this baby. It was this weird, and he didn't even know how to fix it or correct it. It just one day went away. It had never got out of the ground. But to Garth's point, he really couldn't understand it. Wait, you like how I sound. You like how I perform. It's I'm going to sound the exact same considering I am him. I'm going to perform the exact same. Buy a ticket to this guy. But it wasn't the deal. They broke the deal. Do you understand? And Connor's deal with the audience has transferred to solely, I'm going to entertain you, I'm going to give you something to read, I'm going to give you something to talk about. There is going to be no level or basis of truth within it. And that's a very rare deal, but it's a fun one if you can get it, and Connor appears to have gotten it. But why would it be back on the table? Why would it be back in a discussion of December, if you're the power guy, if you're the decision maker, why would it not be a matter of guys giving you enough time? You have a date. You have not announced a main event. It's going to be me or don't call me again. That is what a power guy would do. It's exactly what they would have done back to him. But we don't appear to be into that point, and I can only begin to guess why. I can only begin to guess why if I go back to an interpretation from the voice memo where Connor says they aren't allowing me to fight. Who is they? Because he immediately referenced Bob Bennett, which is a former executive director of the Nevada State Athletic Commission. So if I was to take it on its face, he's saying the state of Nevada won't license him. That's not true. That's what he's saying, but that is not true. So once we know that's not true, we understand that what he said isn't what he meant to say, and it leaves us with another conclusion, which is UFC, or it leads us to USADA, but it wasn't specified. 
And it appears to me that Connor is bound and determined to get the fight with Usada that I so badly want. I so badly want this fight because Connor's going to win. And that's the problem with this fight happening. If push comes to shove, Connor's going to win, which is going to be a revelation that nobody wants revealed. That is my prediction. And I feel as though Connor is bound and determined to give old Chael what he wants. You don't want to do it in December? Fine. When do you want to do it? You guys tell me. When do you want to do it? You want to do it in March? Great. We'll do it in March. I'll enter the pool in February. You, you want to do it in July? Great. I'll enter the pool in May. However we do it and wherever we do it, I'm not doing your six months. And I'm not doing your six months because I don't have to. That is my own opinion. But in fairness, that's the fight that I want. More than any fight out there, I want to see McGregor versus Usada. Because I want to see McGregor beat him, and he will. You waited all year and the time has finally arrived. College football is back and so are the traditions, the tailgates, and the great offers. From DraftKings Sportsbook right now, new customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on any college football bet. I'm out here in Oregon, and the Oregon State Beavers are looking as good as I've ever seen them. Many are picking them to win the conference. They're ranked number 18 in the nation. They beat the Ducks last year. They sent the Ducks packing and headed to the Big Ten. It's kickoff season with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app right now. Use the code CHAIL. All new customers. You can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when you bet just $5 on any college football bet. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code CHAIL. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to number 467-369 in West Virginia. Visit www.1800gambler.net in partnership with Hollywood Casino. At Charlestown Races, all games regulated by the West Virginia Lottery. Please play responsibly. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, Kansas, 21 and older, in most eligible states, but age varies by jurisdiction. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details and state-specific responsible gambling resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Terms at sportsbook.com DraftKings.com slash MMA terms. All right, I spoke to Dylan Dennis. I spoke to Dylan at length yesterday. You know, he's in his hotel. He's out in London. He's got some time on his hands. We're catching up a little bit. It was his birthday. In front of everything else, I was calling to wish him a very happy birthday. He says, hey, did you watch the press conference? And I knew that that had happened because some clips had come out. I I even was in my studio yesterday watching the clip, and I made a piece on it about John Fury. But I I must disclose, the clip that I saw 
Mams had put out on the Misfit Boxing X. I don't like to say X. Twitter. I feel like you guys don't know what I'm talking about when I say X. Right? He posted this on the platform. So I got about I got about 18 seconds is my point. And then there's another one. You got about that 15 to 20 seconds. So I've watched it a couple of them. I get a pretty good feel for what's going on. It wasn't something I needed words to understand. You had an angry, or at least the presentation of the character that John was playing at the time was that of an angry man knocking tables over. But what I didn't fully understand until I had spoke to Dylan. So Dylan says, hey, did you watch it? I said, no. I said, you know what? Let me do it right now. I'm going to call you back. So I spent about 45, 50 minutes. And I must tell you, it was awesome. I mean, it really was awesome. There's things that go into press conferences that get overlooked. Like Bellator is the masters of this, truly, which is having a PR team that makes the press conference look beautiful. There is something about that. Like, if you have the old wrinkly backdrop, it's called a step and repeat, which you guys would know is a backdrop. If you got that old wrinkly one that's, like, made out of plastic and it was rolled up and somebody clearly hung it, like, whatever comes out of their mouth or whatever happens, it's going to be perceived in a way that's less than great. It looks sloppy. One thing you don't ever want to look is sloppy. Sloppy is it's one of the dirtiest words there is, right? If somebody tells you, you're sloppy, it's bad. It's a bad insult. It doesn't sound it, right? It almost sounds kind of cute, like sloppy. It's not. In the world of business, it's bad. And I got to give this to Mams and the Misfits, guys. Their stuff looks sharp. So right away, you've got people's attention. Then they do such a good job that they have a respect from their own athletes. How do I know that? Because they show up. How, how do you know when a coach is respected? Very Chuck Kearney explained this to me. You want to know what a coach knows when he's expected? When he calls a 6.30 workout, 6 a.m., we're going to do sprints. Does the team come or not? That's the test. And when the whole team comes at 6.30 to go run sprints, which is the last thing they want to do while they're tired college kids, they respect the coach. I'm telling you, these athletes, these are stars. Logan Paul, these are stars. KSI. These are massive stars. Two generations of boxing's first family, that of the Furies. First family's probably the Mayweathers, but you, you get my point. Let me do my little rant here. I'm just sharing. I mean, this is a really big deal. Then you have Dylan Dennis, who absolutely stole the show. I mean, he is was on fire. Dylan, does not, Dylan has not been happy since that whole thing happened with KSI. And I don't know why Dylan won't tell you guys what really happened there. I want to, I know what happened because he shared it with me, but it's not my story. If you knew what really happened there, you would fully understand why that fight didn't happen. And it wasn't his fault and he took it on the chin. I'm talking about Dylan. He took it all on the chin. And I'm just sharing with you, all of that energy that he had for KSI bundled with all the energy that he got from the negative reinforcements that he got online, it was all coming out. He was fire. He was killing it yesterday. And John Fury interrupted it. That's my entire point. They're getting their flow going, and not for nothing. I mean, Logan's holding his own. KSI is up there doing what he does, and not to mention he looks cool. Like, KSI is one of those guys that ju he just looks cool. You could just take a picture of him, and, that, and, and that's it. You don't even have to have him talk. Like, a picture's worth a thousand words. He always looks the part. He just does, right? And then you got this uh, Tommy Fury's up there. He's doing his thing. And Tommy Fury isn't half bad at this. He's scared to box boxers, but he's not scared to box. 
Like you're walking down the street and you call him out, he, he will not be scared to box you. If he finds out you're a boxer, he might not want to do it. I'm, I'm just sharing, but it's one of these things. And he was even, he was even at his best. And that might've sounded like a backhanded compliment. Well, I suppose it was, but it was meant just as a straightforward compliment. I'm saying everybody's in their zone. Everybody's doing what they do. And then, and then old man Fury shows up, apparently drunk up and kicks over some tables and it ends the entire press conference. Well, when that happens, they get Dylan into the back. Now, Dylan's doing nothing more than performing, by the way. Like, Dylan had a chair. He could have thrown, but a chair could poke somebody in the eye. A chair can't really be controlled. A chair could hurt somebody. And Dylan's not a mean person. So he picks the chair up to get the camera shot, and he puts the chair right back down. Like, these things about Dylan are never seen. They're always missed. The one thing he throws was paramount to a water balloon. I quite frankly couldn't figure out what it was. It kind of splattered like a water balloon, but I know he didn't have a balloon, so it must have just been a bottle of water or even a bottle of Prime. My point is, they usher him off the stage as though he had done something wrong. As though he was the villain here. Okay, great. Fine. But when they take him off the stage, that interrupts the face-off. And a face-off is very important for a number of reasons. First off, for a piece of marketing, to go back to the adage I just used, a picture's worth a thousand words. That face-off's a big deal. People get on a plane, they go all the way to London, they get in hotels, they wait, they spend their birthday alone in a hotel room to have this face-off because it's worth it. It's that big of a deal. And he didn't get it. And so not only did he not get it, what if something would have happened at the face-off? Every now and then, right, the opponent breaks bad on you. He grabs a hold of you. He wants to, he just can't contain himself. As annoying as that might be, you now felt him. And everything changes once you feel a guy. The whole mask, everything that you wonder, everything that you watch on TV and you're trying to break down, once you feel him, even if it's a grab, it's an over-under, north-south, but right there at the press conference on your feet, things change. And that opportunity was taken away. And he didn't get to do it. But guess what did happen? They bring out Platinum Mike Perry. And they bring Mike Perry out to make it very clear that Logan Paul will be on the card. Logan will be competing and fighting. The plan is with Dylan. If that doesn't happen, Logan will still be there. So get your tickets now and mark it on your calendar. Oh, and by the way, you'll have Mike Perry if not. Now, this was just an awesome moment. Mike Perry comes out. He doesn't play too much into it. He doesn't need to, though. Perry's an interesting guy. There was an Instagram five years ago of Perry stopping his car on an interstate to save a turtle. I don't know that any words were spoken. I must have watched that 50 times. I must have shared it 50 times. Like, Perry's just interesting. <laughs> Period. He's just, Mike Perry. Mike Perry showed up to his last bare knuckle fight. He's fighting Luke Rockhold. Massive fight. Luke's a world champion. Massive fight. Main event, such a big event. Not only is it completely sold out, Conor McGregor comes to take it in. It's a big deal. Perry shows up in a janitor's outfit. Now, I'm telling you guys this story because I don't think you know. I don't think there was ever a camera put on him as part of the production until he went to the ring. I could have that wrong. I was working it that night, so I didn't get to see the full production. But he shows up in a janitor's outfit, and I said, 
what are you wearing? He said, I'm wearing janitor's outfit because I'm getting ready to clean up. And as simple as that was, right? <laughs> like there's just a brilliance in the simplicity that is Mike Perry. So Perry takes the microphone and he says, if anything happens to Dylan, you know, it's, guys are a little bigger than I'm used to, but uh, I'll be here and I'll fight. Yeah, I believe you. Like, we don't have to have anything else. I don't need to know anything more from Mike Perry. I believe him. But I also would be remiss if I did not give credit to Logan Paul for that. How would you guys like to do that? How would you like to have a killer like Dylan Danis across from me? Where you don't really know what to expect. Won world championships in jiu-jitsu. He's never lost in MMA. You know he's been in the room training boxing, but you haven't actually seen it. You don't actually have footage of it. So you can choose to dismiss him, and you can choose to call him names, but you don't actually know. And the mystery is very intimidating. It truly is. So how would you like to be facing that if you're Logan? Knowing full well, if that guy pulls out, another killer is standing there waiting for me. I mean, how would you like that? That's a very tough spot. How do you train? How do you prepare? How do you know fully what you're getting into? How do you do those things? Or you have a true competitor that actually wants to go out there and compete and he doesn't care. And you, I got to give Logan that credit. And I really do. I don't know if the roles were reversed, if anyone else would do it. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if, if Logan pulls out, if we can just expect Dylan to step in there with Perry. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know if Logan pulls out if we can just expect Perry to step in there with Dylan. Like, that's not what he's prepared for. But it's technically the position that he's in. Like, Perry's not brought in, from my understanding, speaking of Mams, he's not brought in to fight Logan if Dylan pulls out. He's, he's brought in to intervene if anything with that fight falls apart, which means Dylan versus Perry is on the table. And that's not what either one of them wanted to do, right? Like, this is very personal for Dylan. So his motivation or his reason to want to box if it's Perry would of course be up for review. Hey, quick question. Who would you rather see? I just got asked a question by our producer, Ryan. He's saying, who would you rather see? Well, Ryan, it's interesting that you say that because as I was saying that, I was kind of working that through in my head. That hadn't actually crossed my mind. I always thought, okay, well, if Dylan doesn't show up, and that's part of the storyline because of the way the KSI felt, uh, fight fell apart, then it will be Perry uh, versus Logan. But excuse me, that's not what Perry's brought in for. Perry is brought in to fill in if either of those guys falls apart. And that, that does change things, doesn't it? It is very interesting to think about Perry versus Logan because we now know how good Perry is, right? Like, before we say Logan's too big, okay, well, let me ask you a different question. Do you think that Logan Paul, as good and impressive as he can be, can beat Luke Rockhold? And you would say no. You would say, hell no, we can't beat Luke Rockhold. Well, Perry did. In fact, Perry stopped him. So all of a sudden, when you start doing this MMA math that people love to say doesn't work, it works all the time. It is the single greatest trajectory that we have. It's not a perfect science, but it's very effective. So now all of a sudden, you got a really interesting match. And I will tell you, as far as Dylan and Mike Perry, that's the one I would be least interested in, only because I know how personal the Paul brothers are to Dylan. That's what this is about. You could interchange them. You could bring in Jake instead of Logan. But... To bring in somebody completely different when it's a personal thing. This isn't I just want to go out there and box. It's a very personal thing towards those guys 
who have done things to Dylan in the past. I mean, I would just share with you, that's the match I want. I want to see, yes, what I want to see the most? I want to see Dylan. I want to see Logan as planned. Volkanovski is the most feared fighter in UFC history. How do I get to that conclusion? Like, that's not just an opinion. I'm looking at it. Nobody calls him out. Feel free to correct me. Now, you could go back over time. You could back the tape up and find where Max Holloway was coming right at him, but he should. I mean, Max Holloway, before this Volkanovski incident, was the best featherweight ever. People believe this. There was compliments coming on Max. I mean, Max was so good, they were going to move him up and have him take on Khabib. Do you guys remember that? Max was so good, they were going to move him up and have him take on Poirier for the belt. Oh, by the way, they did. Max is so good that Freddie Roach was asked to list the top three boxers in all of MMA. And on that very short list by Freddie Roach, he included Max Holloway. Oh, and by the way, Max is that good. Max is that good right now. Max has always been that good. And when he went out and fought Volkanovski, the first one was a little bit controversial. The second one was flat out the wrong decision. So for Max to be coming after him to try to get back what was his with that background makes perfect sense. But now once we move on from that, would you guys care to give an example that I've got it wrong? Would you care to tell me somebody that's called out Volk? I mean, that's really an amazing thing. It is to the point that Volkanowski is calling out guys for not calling him out. We've never been in this before. This has never happened. As great as John Jones's career was, I can think of people all along that have called him out. You're looking at one of them. Look at all the work that Gustafson did and then call, spent three years trying to get that rematch, calling him out. I can say that same exact story for uh, Daniel Cormier. I mean, I'm just offering you an example that everyone gets called out. Who called out Volk? As a matter of fact, if we were to back it up, we had Josh Emmett, who many believed was a number one contender, myself included. He had done enough, he's going to go fight for the title. But then a week later, it was just one week later, one week later, Uriah Rodriguez submits Brian Ortega in the first round. On ABC, the whole world sees it happen, and all of a sudden, we've got potentially a new number one contender. So now, Rodriguez and Emmett are going to have to figure this out in the media for Volk's attention. Neither one of them did. I mean, neither one of them did to the point that Volk said, since neither one of you are saying you want to fight me, why don't you just go fight each other? Volk said this out of disgust. I mean, he, he truly was irritated. Volk knows where his strengths are, and Billy to fight in one of them. So he'll bring the skills, and he'll bring the record, and he'll bring the title, and he'll even bring the number one pound for pound. He'll bring all of these things. You bring me a little bit of attention, and then we can be partners and work together. I respected the hell out of Volk for being able to identify it and know that. And when Volk called them out for not calling him out, guess what happened? They ended up going fighting each other. Volk was right. Why would you make a fight? Why would you make a fight if they don't want to fight? And I'm just bringing to this a really interesting thing to the point that he leaves the division. He leaves the division, goes up to 155, creates that whole thing on his own. 
They never said that he was the number one contender. never said he was a backup fighter. He demanded those things. We're told to this day, I've, I've said this to you a hundred times and it's never been denied. Coach Lima, Charles Oliveira's coach, who has never swerved, never trolled, and never been questioned on this, claims that in the locker room, after Islam took the strap off Charles, the UFC offered Charles a rematch. Why is that relevant? The fight's here, the locker room's here. Why is that relevant? Because right here, the world saw Volkanovski and Islam face-to-face and agreed to fight. Champion versus champion, a very rare thing in our sport. Daniel Cormier, an organic, real moment. The world saw that, but according to Oliveira's coach, after that and in spite of that, they still offer Charles the match, which means Perth was never going to happen, which means this wonderful organic moment is going to get thrown on the editing room floor. Now, whether that was lost in translation or a misunderstanding or not, I have brought that up single hand. I have brought that up literally at least a dozen times. Nobody has ever refuted it. Nobody's told me there was a misunderstanding. Nobody's ever backed away from that statement. Nobody within the UFC, nobody within Charles Camps, not even Coach Lima himself was the one that made the statement. Therefore, I believe that it happened. That's the point that I'm attempting to make for you. So Volk then decides he's going to come back down. But before he comes back down, sure enough, the, the suggestion that he made that Emmett and Rodriguez fight did happen, then he only had to go deal with one of them. Now, Volkanovsky, this is yesterday. Volkanovsky right now, as of yesterday, is mad at Ilya Tapora. He's mad at Ilya Tapora for having such great skills. And Tapora, you guys ever seen Tapora? Oh, God, this guy is just, this is the handsome. He speaks, he goes on Ariel's show. Tapora is fire. This is Mr. Water Bottle. He was known as Mr. Water Bottle because of the incident with Patty the Batty and Ilya Tapora is kind of a hard name to say. It was easier to go with Mr. Water Bottle, but then we find out he's the—he's like the baddest dude alive. He's the baddest dude in the division when Volk ain't around. For sure, maybe he's the baddest dude when Volk is around. I mean, that's what the fight is about. When he's not around, Tapora is clearly the number one contender. Oh, what is arguably the hardest weight in the entire sport, right? It's always been argued between 45 and 55. I'm just saying, Ilya Tapori is something very special, but he off also offers a special set of skills. He's good at getting people's attention. He can throw water bottles and get your attention. He can call you out and get your attention. He can go out there, whip somebody's ass and get your attention, and he's not doing it with Volk. Volk has called Taporia out for not calling him out. And it's a fair point by Volk. I also have wondered where the callouts are. Why are you not going after him? Why is this not being built? Why is this not a piece of interest? And the only conclusion that I can come to, the only reasonable conclusion that I can see, is that Volkanovsky is the most feared fighter in the history of our sport. I look at Conor McGregor as one of the greats ever. Right? I tell you how hard 45 was in 55. Conor had the interim title. He had the undisputed title. He had the undisputed all at the same time. He's getting the attention of the boxing greats. He's going over and doing other sports. I mean, this is how this is how good Conor McGregor was. He was called out all the time. Conor dismissed the call-outs. Red Panty Night, guy wants to get paid. Conor's not completely wrong. But I'm not wrong, regardless of the motivation, to tell you that throughout his career he was called out. Francis Ngannou, same boat. George St. Pierre, same boat. I'm right. Think of some real badasses. Think of some real legit tough guys that you know. Justin Gaethje doesn't get called out very often, but it has happened. 
Nobody goes after Volkanovsky. Nobody dares going after Volkanovsky. And we got real close with Sterling. Now, Sterling stayed real respectful for obvious reasons. He wasn't there yet. He had some business to attend to with Sean, and he was flirting with the idea of not having to keep on pulling that weight off. And I, I'm just sharing with you that I, I, I can't quite put it in that category because, right, it'd be like if a guy in, in Bellator called out Volk. Like, if there's ways that you can't do it, right, if, if there's ways that you're not quite in the division yet, we got to understand what counts and what doesn't count. And is there any way to disagree with it? I mean, is there any way to disagree with us? How else would you explain it? Volk has the most beautiful record in MMA. He doesn't have the most beautiful record in the history of MMA. That would go to Khabib. But he's running him down, and he's not afraid to change weight classes to do it. All he asks for at press conferences is another fight. He wants money. He's talking about money. But he's not saying, you just hand me more money. He's saying, let me go to work more often so I can make the money. Folks, an honorable guy. He's a good fighter. As it turns out, he's also extremely feared. hard when you take a fight to say what's in it for me right it's a hard thing to do that's not the way it works you got a contract he's got a contract i'm putting you together i'm making the decisions you're going to the top of the bill you're up 25 minutes here's the date are we good or not or i'll just find somebody else i mean it, it, that, that i understand that that basically is the business but when you're the athlete and you're searching for motivation and you are top of the bill, which means you're a motiv main eventer, which means you worked your way there, which means you're a veteran, which means you have a whole bunch of these experiences and it gets less and less cool each time that you have one, you are going to want an answer to the question of what is in it for me. And I don't need you to tell me how much money. I got the same contract that you're looking at. I know what the money is. What is in it for me? Is this the one? Is this the number one contender match I've been waiting for? Is this the one that gets me closer to the one? Is this the one that then draws me into the opponent that I really want, which is that guy? Like the, the answer doesn't have to be the same for everybody. It doesn't have to be obvious. And it's not just about championships. And it's not just about number one contenderships. And it's not just about money, believe it or not. While those might be the predominant things, there's other things that could get a guy up and out of bed in the morning. As long as the answer is not, because you love this sport and he loves the sport, and it's a chance for you to go and throw punches and kicks at somebody. Like, there is a time when that's real, when it's hard to even get those matches. There is a time. But when you're a main eventer and you're established and you've proven yourself and you worked your way up the bill, more often than not, just to share the psychology with you, that is no longer going to do it. So let's just take a look at Max versus Zombie. There is no personal beef here. I don't know that Max has heat with anybody. I don't know that Max had any heat with Volkanovsky, who he fought, fought, and fought again. I think he just purely wanted to go out and compete with him. I mean, that's what I think. I haven't heard anything. I don't know that the zombie has a command of the English language. I could have that wrong, and he's bilingual. But I haven't heard an interview with him. When I've seen him interview, he has an interpreter there. And I'm just saying, I just don't think he... Would have had an ability to upset anybody. Like, there's always a chance that there's a grudge that somehow Chael missed. I, I don't think so. I'm pretty confident telling you there's not. Okay, great. Is there anything to do with rankings or competitiveness that is on this fight? 
Because it would seem as you could sure get pulled down, right? It would, it would seem. If you're in Max's position, Max is very clearly the next best guy. Very clearly. Now, Ilya Deporia might have something to say about that. And over enough time, that statement will no longer be true. But it is right now. Unless he was to lose to the zombie. If he was to get beat, I mean, wow, that could really, really change things. And meanwhile, if the zombie is the one that does the beating, he's not going to go and take over number one contendership and go back in there against Volk or Ilya Teporio or an interim championship or anything else that even resembles a championship match. So it does come back to what is in it for me. Why are we here? What are we doing this for? How did we come up with this idea, right? Because, I mean, there, there is a level... Where when a guy gets to, he can't follow the golden rule, which is to protect himself at all times. When he gets to that spot, there now becomes a responsibility and there becomes an onus put on the opponent. You guys remember Jeremy Horn? Did that name ring a bell? Jeremy Horn was ranked number one in the world at one point. And his skills and the matches that he would have could lead you to that conclusion, but largely the decision makers had so much respect because of how active and busy Jeremy was. He'd fight on Friday, he'd get in a car, he'd drive to a different state, he'd have like a friend drive him as he was sleeping, and then he would fight on Saturday. He did this all the time. He'd have four and five fights a month against anybody, changing weight classes, any way that you want to do it, and there was just a massive respect shown and it took him at one point in his career all the way to a number one ranking in the world and we were out in atlantic city trump taj mahal america versus russia jeremy horn and i were on the same team representing the americans and then you've got the russians that come in and somehow even though it was america versus russia we were doing this dual meet but jeremy's match while on the same card was not part of the duel and as a matter of fact, he fought a gentleman who wasn't even from Russia, but he fought on this card. I only bring this to you because they did a face-off. Jeremy doesn't know the guy. He's never seen any footage on the guy. They simply do a face-off, and Jeremy decides in his own mind, this guy can't fight. So he decides he's going to go out there, and he tells his manager, Monty Cox, before the fight, he tells him, I got to take care of this poor guy. I'm going to go to the body. So I'm not going to break his face and hurt his head and knock him out. I'm going to hit him with a body shot. He's going to go down. We're all going to go home. It's going to hurt for 20 minutes, and he's going to be fine in the morning. Like, Jeremy called this ahead of time, went out there, set the guy up, hit him in the body, let him take a knee, stood back, looked at the red. They called the whole fight off. But there was an onus put on Jeremy. He's the number one ranked guy in the world. He got brought out there just so they could say they had the number one guy in the world, and they brought in a bum. And it was one of these situations where if Jeremy goes out and hurts his guy or throws him down or grounds and pounds him or toys with him, far, far worse. That is the absolute worst thing that you can do in combat is think that you're helping a guy by not hitting him as hard by moving around with him. You go out and toy with a guy, they should take your license away. So Jeremy didn't do that. He did everything right, but he put the guy down. And it was important that he did that, not only for his opponent, not only for the sport, but also for himself. It would have been a very bad look for him to size it up, realize there's a massive mismatch. Somebody here is fine with me getting the W. I go out and really hurt this guy. And I'm, I'm, I'm just sharing with you, like, 
I don't know of any athlete that we have that could have a conversation during a fight that gets picked up by everybody who's watching it. The zombie and Volk had a conversation about whether or not they should stop the match. And Zombie decided, no, they should not stop. He's going to go on. Now, the math doesn't work at this point. It's a five-round contest. Three are in the bag. And the only question is, of those three, it's not were they 10-9 unanimous. The only question is, of those three, did we have any? And if so, how many 10-8 rounds? There is nothing mathematical about this match that it should continue. But the cornermen who don't have the heart or the intelligence to stop the fight allow it to go on. But just imagine this scenario. Imagine a scenario where that conversation takes place. Oh, by the way, this is a year ago. We don't get better as humans with time. We get worse. So you have that conversation. You have a year removed. And now you put them into a main event with one of the great bludgeoners in the history of the sport, which is Max Holloway. Max Holloway, who was put on Freddie Roach's list of the best three boxers that MMA has ever had. And now they're going to go out and fight, and I don't know what they're fighting for. And I don't know how you get the bounce. And unless you take a lesson from Jeremy Horn and you go to the body and you let the guy leave in one piece, if you go out there and you piece up a guy for up to 25 minutes who tried to retire in the ring in his last contest, caught on mics throughout the world, this is a rough look. It's a very rough situation. And when you come down to the simple question of what's in it for me, I have the foggiest idea what that answer is. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And guess what? The UFC is in Singapore tomorrow. Max Holloway is taking on the Korean Zombie and a special morning start time. So enjoy your coffee and enjoy the fights and be back on Tuesday to hear more from me. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.